This podcast is part of the Everyday Heroes Podcast Network, the network for first responders and those who support them. It's October. October. Time it's just flies. October. You get three Mondays of us in October. It's like a extra it's pay a month. Treat. Uh, welcome back to Scissors and Scrubs. I'm Nicole. I'm Lara. You know what we did not discuss, Lara? The oh. last time we recorded what? The Queen. Oh my God. I, I know. know I'm like two months behind, and she'll have been buried by this point. Hey, no one's even gonna. But when we're recording, she's only died a couple of days ago. Yes. She died while I was at work. All I wanted to do was go home and watch the Queen. I haven't stopped, and every. So now on TikTok, like everything that comes up on my feed is the queen thing because I keep watching yes. like, all of them and I'm like, oh yeah. And then like, then they go into like, you know, everybody else. Like, yeah, I know. I know. It's all I'm watching. I swear. I think I'm mourning her more than I would a family member because I loved her. I know. I just loved it. And my kids are like, well, what's the big deal? I'm like, she's a fucking icon. A, most of the world doesn't know any other monarch in England. Yes. Now look at, granted, we fought a war not to give a shit. I get it. Right. But I do love her. Yes. And- I'm like, it's, think of the people she's met in her lifetime. She mm-hmm. met Winston Churchill. She met 15 presidents. The heads of every fucking country mm-hmm. for decades. Like, yep. She's unbelievable. Yes. She's unbelievable. No. And she's I, just, and I think she's just a steady. Yeah. She was a steady in everyone's lives. Like she was, was just the, the queen. queen. She yep. was always there. And there's yep. the queen, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's going to be really weird to say the king of England. It is we've been weird. saying queen. And I feel like that sounds like we're in like the 1600s, yes! the king of England. Yes. <laughs> in honor of her, I was watching Henry VIII and Anne Boleyn last night. Oh. It was a fucked up family. That was. Um, so this literally has nothing to do with what we're talking no. about today. Um, we Although, are maybe. Well, maybe. Mm. I mean, maybe she was on hospice maybe. the last couple of days, Laura, because mm-hmm. that's what we're talking about. Yes. Hospice nurses. Uh, we had an email come in. A couple of um, back in August and this woman's reaching out and it broke my heart to read this because I can imagine how she feels. Uh, both Laura and I have had to deal with family members end of life. Mm-hmm. A lot of nurses have to do that. And it's a lot of pressure on the nurse of the family. Be- and we'll get into all that. Um, so we're going to read her email and hopefully I'll read it the way she wanted me to read it. And then we're going to kind of cover what hospice nursing is some stories of hospice nursing and some of our own experiences with hospice nursing. And Mm -hmm. this woman as well is looking for people. um, She's looking for advice. So if you have anything constructive to add to this (laughs) podcast, I do not want to hear any. She doesn't need to hear any negative, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So if you have something nasty to say about it, you can just email us privately. But she's looking for people to to give similar stories. She's looking for comfort. She's churning because she doesn't know where to go. Mm-hmm. Laura Nicole, first, I just want to say thank you for taking the time to create a podcast that makes me both think and laugh. Well, I'm glad it makes you think because it just <laughs> makes me laugh. <laughs> uh, it always brightens my day listening to you too. But I am writing because I have experienced something as a nurse that I can't find any significant support or commiseration about. I have been an oncology nurse for seven years, which provides which proved to be an appropriate calling as my little sister was diagnosed with triple negative breast cancer just shy of three years ago. Mm. Devastating. Mm -hmm. It's a great honor to be able to provide meaningful advice and support to someone you love so much during the worst time in their life. I am happy I was able to be a resource. After her initial treatment and subsequent surgery, she was found to have a recurrence which metastasized extensively to her bones From her skull, down her spine, to her femurs, including her sternum, shoulder, and pelvis. This was less than a year ago. She underwent chemo and radiation, suffering the usual side effects, as well as rare and life-threatening complications, including tiflitis, opportunistic infections, crippling pain, and transfusion dependency. She progressed rapidly through her treatments, and the cancer spread to her lungs and liver. We also noted that many palpable tumors to her chest and groin. This is terrible. I watched her decline, traveling over four hours every couple of weeks, knowing better than anyone else how this would go and hating every desperate moment of it. Mm -hmm. Her pain was poorly controlled, partially due to my brother-in-law's fear of addiction, which, God bless at that point, who fucking gives a shit if she's hooked on meth? I feel like a lot of people have that problem. (sighs) Who cares? I know. But also due to the extent of the disease. Watching her suffer was the worst thing I have ever witnessed as both a nurse and a human being. After much debate, encouragement, and support... She was admitted to home hospice services in August. 
My sister called me a day into her hospice treatment in a rare moment of clarity, asking me to come. I dropped everything and went. As the nurse in the family, luckily with significant hospice experience, I was put in charge of her care. I called the rest of the family in so they could see her. I administered her medication, called the nurses for increases, and stayed up with her all night for days to change her and manage her terminal restlessness. I think people don't realize that the end of life can get physically messy. Mm -hmm. So you are, when she says changing, you're changing diapers, sheets, Mm -hmm. beds, linens. Mm -hmm. It's, It's tough. I suctioned her mouth when she started choking on the liquid morphine she couldn't swallow. I dressed and cleaned the ulcer that formed on her coccyx. Mm. I helped hold her down as she fought two failed Foley insertion attempts. She had apparently developed fistulas. I comforted her when she screamed and tried to bite me when I had to turn her. I comforted my family as they watched. I increased her meds until she stopped trying to rip her clothes off. Until she was comfortable, I gave her every dose. I'm going to literally start crying in about two seconds. I gave her every dose until she passed away. While my family was there for support, and they are grateful that I was able to do what they, quote, could not, I cannot shake the weight of what I did to and for her. She died on August. She died in August, shortly after she started hospice, with her family surrounding her. She would have been 30 years old in August. Oh, God. She survived by her husband, her children, her parents, her grandmother, and siblings. How do nurses manage being end-of-life caregivers for their loved ones? It would give me comfort to hear how others have managed their grief. I am hoping you may be able, you may be able to use your platform to solicit similar stories to mine so I might feel less alone. I know it's not usual lighthearted subject matter, but it would help me and maybe others. If nothing else, I would greatly appreciate even just your thoughts because no other nurse I know can relate. Thank you again for all you do and thank you for taking the time to read this because it took a lot for me to put it into words. I'm not going to use her name. She asked me not to. I did leave out some, inf- I redacted some information because she asked me, she doesn't, this family shit going on and she doesn't want it to be mm-hmm. too um, identifiable. So that is her story. And it greatly moved me when I read it. It greatly moved me when I read it again. Mm-hmm. It's, um, it's very difficult. So what we're going to do is we're going to read what hospice nurses do, mm-hmm. which she is one. Um, I had had a very rough experience with um, my mother-in-law mm-hmm. in hospice. You've taken care of your dad. Mm-hmm. So we'll tell some of those and we have some stories from hospice nurses and hopefully we'll get some write-ins to she needs a support group. She yeah. can't find one. Yeah. It's not an easy support group to find. It's not one many people want to be a part of. So mm-hmm. let's see if we can help her out. Yeah. Okay. So I have... Um... I just have basic information on hospice, the history of it, how it started, and kind of what they do. I got it from understandinghospice.org and healthcare.com. So modern hospice, I, I guess like thousands of years ago, they had hospice. Like mm-hmm. little, You just took care of your family members. They, they took died. care of their family members. Mm-hmm. Nuns would help. And yep. So it was like a hospice care. But modern hospice started in 1948 by Dame Cicely Saunders. She had to be from England. With the uh, name like yes. Dame. Yes, it's Dame Cicely. Um, that is when she started working with terminally ill patients as a nurse in the London area. She feel focused on palliative care rather than treatments to cure. So she wanted to make you comfortable and have a good life so as opposed who, to So for those who don't know what palliative means, you are either doing surgery, you are, whatever care you're doing is just comfort measures only because what you're never going to cure what the problem is. Right. So you are just there to take care of them and make them comfortable. Mm-hmm. And I do go into palliative care. Oh, sorry. No, that's right. Um, she wanted dying patients taken out of the sterile hospital environment, especially like, think of like the 30s and the 40s, like all white, like limited visitation. Like a psycho- yeah. like, you know, like you'd go crazy yeah. in there. It's all sterile and nothing's warm and yeah, people could only come in for like an hour mm-hmm. and so she wanted people out of the sterile hospital environment and cared for at home where they would be comfortable. Mm-hmm. It was all about the patient comfort. psyche and comfort. Um, Saunders received her medical degree in 1957. So she was a nurse and then went to medical school. In 1963, she spoke at Yale about her hospice ideas to doctors, nurses, chaplains, and med students. She showed pictures of terminally ill cancer patients before hospice and then during hospice. And the difference in their appearances were so shocking that it started a discussion in the United States about we need to start hospice care. Why can't I do care. something like that? Hmm? Why can't I do something like that, Laura? I know. All I'm doing is telling funny stories. I know. Anyway, go ahead. Something really meaningful <laughs> like she did. I want to really be left behind. I want to be a dame. Yeah. Um, so that sparks the hospice care discussion in the U.S. In 1967, Saunders opened St. Christopher's Hospice in London. It was the first hospice for terminally ill patients in the U.K., 
Dr. Florence Wald was the dean of Yale School of Nursing. So she had probably heard her speak mm-hmm. when she came to speak. Um, so in 1968, she takes a sabbatical from Yale, goes to St. Christopher's Big is it to get firsthand hospice experience to stop Isn't bringing it back to the Interesting States. it's the nurses that did this. I know. And the, and the women. Mm-hmm. I'm just, I mean, just saying. I'm just saying. Um, in Nothing, ni- no points made. No. <laughs> in 1969, Dr. Kubler, do you remember Dr. Kubler-Ross from nursing school? Yeah. Kubler, yeah. Dr. Yeah. Kubler-Ross wrote On Death and Dying. Um, yes, yes, yes. yes. <laughs> Fucking Death and Dying, no. yes. <laughs> which is a book that emphasized the benefits of home care over hospital care for terminally ill patients. Um, she had over 500 interviews in that book with dying patients. And it helped her argument that everyone should have the right to decide on end-of-life care. If you want to be in the hospital and right. you want to be in that, that is your right. If that makes you feel right. but better, if you this be is home. where I need to be. But if you want to be home or in a sit, uh, uh, home environment with just, you mm-hmm. know, palliative care. and That's your choice. Be around family. That's your choice. It's your choice what you mm-hmm. want to do. Um, I'm going to die with my cats on my chest. Oh, God. I'm not going to lie. Kubler-Ross testified in front of the U.S. Senate Special Committee on Aging in 1972 on the right to die with dignity. In 1974, Florence Wald, again, um, that went to Mm -hmm. observe, um, a chaplain and two pediatricians founded Connecticut Hospice in Branford, Connecticut, which was the first hospice in the United States in 1974. I was just like, 19... Isn't that unreal? It's my lifetime. Like, it took that fucking long. But then, so this, I shouldn't break this up, but that, I'm reading this, I'm like, this is why people have these innate and like these ideas about Ridiculous. hospice like don't go on hospice yeah. they'll kill you you're gonna you're gonna die i'm you're like gonna let because you die. it's only been around yes. for less than 50 years like it's right. blows my mind i'm like and this I think is what anything the... surrounding death terrifies people. yes absolutely yeah. terrifies right. them they don't want to understand it because they're too afraid right but i'm like this is this New, is why it's newer this yes. wasn't even allowed uh, and around in like literally 1974 time. it's only like 25 years ago. Yeah, okay, sure. It's not, sure. You, not 48 you years ago. a number no. there that I really didn't yeah, Almost like 50, I said. No, yeah, Laura, 50. no. Mm-mm. It's close, very close. No, it's not. Um. So anyway, so, but I'm like, this makes sense why everyone is so hesitant and all like scared mm-hmm. or like, you know, elderly people now, this wasn't even out when they were right. growing up, not you know? Not so, option. Right. Um, also in 1974, Senators Frank Church and Frank Moss introduced legislation to- The pro- Franks. The Franks. To provide federal funds for hospice programs. Nice. It didn't pass. What the fuck? Yeah. In 1982, Congress created a provision to make a Medicare hospice benefit. Nice. A part of the Tax Equity and Fiscal Responsibility Act. Did it pass? Yeah. And in 1986, <laughs> the Medicare Hospice Act was enacted. That gave states the option to, to include hospice in their Medicare programs. 1986. Mm-hmm. I was alive during that time. Oh, don't say it like that. <laughs> Fucker. <laughs> Over the next 30 years, more legislation was passed, more funding was approved, and more Medicare reimbursements were given. So we're starting to ever people starting to get it like this is good. This is a mm-hmm. good thing. We're gonna pay for this. Um that allowed more providers to get into hospice because they're paying people to do this. Um in 2004, more than one million Americans received hospice care. In 2005, there were more than four thousand yeah. hospice providers. It's we're getting there. It is still not. It's a field I've always contemplated. If I left the OR, that's something I would think of doing. I've been involved enough in it with family members that I've thought like maybe. I think it would be very rewarding. I'll be honest. I with do. You. I do. You know, I'm a nut dull about going into people's houses, so I can't. No, but you could work at like a the Kaplan Center. Yes, the house. Like, yes, yeah. going into the houses not my fave. I could work at a place that was not a house. Um, in 2014, the National Hospice and Palliative Care Organization celebrated 40 years of hospice care in the U.S. So we're literally talking a very short time that yes, we've had hospice, very. which is it I mean, blew my mind. I had no so idea. little time. It's so young. Yes, it's so fucking young. But it like that blew my mind. It blew my mind because mm-hmm. um, so I really thought it was longer than that. I had no idea that no. that wasn't because it's been a part of our lives forever, forever. Um, since hospice has only been around for such a short time in the U.S., less than 50 years, like I said, a lot of people don't fully understand what hospice does, who can use them, and why. When you can go when on When they it. should reach out, why yep. they should reach out. Um, people wait way too long. Yeah. Hospice care is a philosophy focused on providing comfort, dignity, and support to terminally ill patients. Mm-hmm. It's a philosophy. It is a whole mind, body, what's good mm-hmm. for this patient. It is not curative. You are not being cured on hospice. You are not curable on hospice. On hospice. When there hospice is, is not killing you. No. Whatever you have is already there. Hospice is 
giving you life with dignity. Right. Um, When there is no cure, hospice providers um, give relief for physical symptoms like pain. They give emotional support. They give spiritual support Mm -hmm. for the patient and their family and their caregivers. Which you need. It's just somebody there to help you, to tell you you're doing a good job. Take an hour, go for a walk. Right. And just to encourage you, like, because you, like we said, like, end of life can be messy. It can be painful. It, it can, can be, be long. T- long time. And you feel like, what are we doing? Like, right. they're there to just give you a hint. No, this is, you're doing right. everything you can. And you're watching your loved one mm-hmm. dying. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's not something that's easy to do. And when it's a long process and you're watching them weaker and weaker and harder mm-hmm. and harder, it takes a fucking mm-hmm. toll on you. Mm-hmm. And they're there, not just for that patient. They, are, they right. support the family. In a huge, huge way. Huge. Um, hospice is delivered wherever the patient is, whether they're in a home, a nursing home, mm-hmm. anywhere they a are. Hospital. They have yep. hospital floors on hospital. Ho- yep. I mean, hospice floors on hospital. Wherever you are, they, they go, go to you. The patient never has to go to an office. They don't have to go to a pharmacy. They you don't have, have to go to, go to doctor's a anymore. doctor's office. They don't have to go to any appointments. They are home and they can get everything they need to, or mm-hmm. wherever they are delivered, delivered to, to them. them. Yep. Um, Services are available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Mm-hmm. It is not, they don't have a holiday off. They don't have nope. a weekend off. Someone is available all On the time for you. At all times. Hospice also provides counseling and bereavement services for loved ones before and after the patient's death. Mm-hmm. Um, hospice is available to anyone diagnosed with a terminal illness who has a life expectancy of six months or less. Mm-hmm. It does not matter what age you are. You can be a child. You can mm-hmm. be a 90 year old. It does not matter if you have. A terminal illness, and you are expected to live less than six months, you can have hospice. Now, when my father-in-law was on it, they said it could be two years. They said, but you have to agree you're done with medical treatment. And if you decide you want to go in, which he did, he had to go into the hospital, they back off. Yes. And then when you're ready again, they come back. Yeah. So, yeah. So you there's can go a whole... on and off of it. Okay, yes. Sorry. You can go... So, but it has to be. You're not going to recover from what you have. Yes. And they, I think they do say, yes, it's around, they will probably live around six months. And then I get into, so two physicians need to certify that a patient is not responding to aggressive treatment and has a life expectancy of less than six months. So they have to say there, there is nothing else we can do. Yeah. It is not, nothing is working. You will die from this illness. Um, and the six months is only a prediction. Right. No one knows exactly when you're going to die. If the person lives longer than six months, they can be recertified and kept in hospice. Mm-hmm. So after six months, they yep. check again. Nope, nothing's gotten better. You are still going to die. You get hospice. Right. We'll do this in again in six months. Um, if the person improves, because sometimes people do improve on hospice because you're gaining confidence, and- dignity, comfort. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's just not as aggressive as they thought. You're yes. Sometimes you're off your chemo. Yeah. You're you know. Um, so if they improve, they can graduate, quote mm-hmm. unquote, from hospice. And then can be certified again later when you do begin to decline. Right. So just because, oh, fuck, they feel better and they're getting around right. and they're not, they look better and everything's going better. It's, you don't have to worry about it. You're, you can be done with hospice. And then when you start to yeah. decline from your terminal illness, you can These go back on it. people do not know. No. It doesn't mean you're on it and you're going to be dead in six months. Right. It or doesn't. even three days. Like right. you don't wait till 24 hours. Oh, call me on hospice right. you now. Can, this is all, it's all therapy. It's, it's all. It's needs. And they don't have to come. Every day. It's mm-hmm. it's as you need it. So it's, you know, it's a it's a help. It's a benefit. It is yep. not in any way a. It's not d- a negative uh, thing. No, in any it's way. It's not a negative thing. And no. that everybody thinks it is. Yeah. Um, palliative care, like I had said in the beginning, is a key part of hospice. So it focuses on comfort and the quality of life. Palliative mm-hmm. care is for your comfort and your quality of life. They administer medications. They give, you know, div- different devices and stuff to reduce pain. They also provide physical therapy. They provide occupational therapy. So people can maintain activities of daily life. It and is in no way <laughs> saying you're bedridden now and you're, you can't yeah. get up again. And you're not doing anything. This is it. And I'm just going to give you morphine and call right. it a day. It is to better your life. It mm-hmm. is to give you comfort and quality of life. It is nothing to be afraid right. of. If they say, oh, we're going to bring the palliative care team in, people freak out. Yes. That doesn't mean you're going to die today. It, yes. Everyone's going to die. It doesn't mean you're going to die today or next week. It means it just we're going to help not, you be You're comfortable. not getting anywhere and you need help. Right. Um, I said, please note, palliative care is not hospice. Hospice uses palliative care. Palliative care is not hospice. Everybody thinks it's the same yes. thing. People can receive palliative care 
while they are aggressively treating an illness. So I, you know, God forbid, I could be on chemo for uh, mm-hmm. pancreatic cancer. And I, even though I'm treating my pancreatic cancer, I want to beat this. Right. I want to end this. I need help with comfort and my quality of life. So mm-hmm. that's why they bring in the palliative care. It is not hospice. Right. Um, common symptoms that palliative care treats are pain, nausea, difficulty breathing. Um, palliative care improves a patient and their family's quality of life. The patient mm-hmm. does not have to be terminal to receive palliative care. So if someone springs up palliative care to you, Don't it does not mean out. you are dying. Right. It does not mean you are terminal. It means you need help with the quality of your life. You mm-hmm. need comfort. We're going to bring this team in because that's all they focus on. Right. While another team is focusing on your chemo or your yep. whatever else you're getting. Um, patients who do receive palliative care report decreased pain, better appetite, uh, appetite improvement, decreased anxiety, and better clarity. So they can make better decisions about their care and quality of life. Mm-hmm. If you are more calm, if you are in less pain, if you can sit and you're eat a meal. in your home. You can think. Like sometimes you're in a treatment that's so tough on you and so hot on your body and you're in so much pain and you're so sick. You, you know what? Just stop it. I'm not doing it. Right. I can't do another treatment. Right. If you have palliative care helping you and making you more comfortable, you can say, you know what? I can get through the two more yes. treatments I have and, you know, we'll see how and it goes. Exactly. Or you could say, I mean, it could change You're the other making way. a better decision. It's allowing you to make better decisions for yourself. So there is hospice. And then there's palliative care. And then there's palliative care. Hospice uses palliative care, but palliative care is not hospice. Right. So people, when you hear those words, it is nothing to be afraid I of. I wish this podcast reached bazillion people I to know. know this because, I mean, recently I had a friend who, um, the mother is, she's never getting better. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot on the caregiver. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's giving her every meal and she's bathing her and she's putting bed. And I'm like, why don't you bring in palliative care? She's like, well, she's not. T-. I said, that's not what it is. No. You need services. Mm-hmm. They will provide you mm-hmm. services. Yeah. If nothing else, they'll give you a hospital bed. Right. Like, you need help. Yes. So. So. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little personal experiences first. Okay. okay? I mean, my most recent experience um, was my brother passing away. Mm-hmm. He passed away the summer of 2020. That was, you know, the week my brother died, the cat. Yeah, it was know. a lot. It was a lot. I actually hugged you. Yes, and that yeah. never happens. Um, that's how you know it's bad. Laura gives you a hug. <laughs> it's the end of the world. Exactly. So my older brother was, at the time, he was 53. He had been diagnosed with HIV in 91. Mm-hmm. So he was probably in his early 20s when he ate HIV. Um, I comfort myself knowing my brother lived exactly as my brother wanted to live. Yes. With no consequences, no worries. Fucking kid didn't even pay his mortgage. He didn't give a shit. But he traveled the world. He traveled the country. He met crazy people. Like, mm-hmm. he lived an unbelievable life. Mm-hmm. Um, but because of his way of living, he ended up getting a lot. Um, when I say his way of living, I don't mean his lifestyle and who he chose to be with. Mm-hmm. I mean, not giving a shit about anything. Um, he came up with an opportunistic cancer and he ignored it mm-hmm. for a while. So by the time he notifies the nurse and the family, which I, it's really hard when you're the nurse and the family and you know what people are talking about because random strangers come to you with shit, let alone yes. family members. So he hits me with information in like February, sends me an MRI. And again, you know what you're reading. So I look at it and I'm like, oh, he's fucking riddled with cancer. Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, what should I do? I'm like, have you even spoken to a physician yet? No. You need to go to the doctor like Monday morning. You need to be knocking on the door. Yeah, 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 yeah. Two weeks later, he calls me. Like, Have you seen the doctor yet? No. Mm-hmm. And he's symptomatic at this point. He's having trouble urinating. He's having trouble going to the bathroom. He's having trouble with a lot. I mean, it's he's very symptomatic. Yes. And I'm trying to explain to him, to have this surgery, you have to bring in orthopedic, uh, GU, um, general, general surgery. Like He needed yeah. like five different specialties mm-hmm. to deal with where the cancer was. And even then, when you don't know what's going to happen. So the next time I hear from him was the end of March, beginning of April. Mm-hmm. And he's in California. And I was like, he's like, well, I want a second opinion. I need help. I said, it's too late. He's like, what do you mean? It's too-? I said, you're in California. Have you seen the fucking doctor yet? Well, no. I said, so you have chosen your path. Mm-hmm. So he makes his decision. He He's looking for help. He starts treatment two months after I've even seen this diagnosis. Mm-hmm. He waits too long. I, you know... And when I describe my parents' reaction, he's like my parents. I'm going to put my head in the sand and pretend it's not happening. Mm-hmm. So now it's gotten to he can't work anymore. He's really progressing. And I need to get down and see him. 
my parents, are you going to see him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you going to see him? Yeah, and there, we're going to drive. We're going to do this. But they keep setting unattainable goals because I don't think my parents could deal mm-hmm. with what was going on. So I eventually approached my mother and I said, I'm flying down. I'm not taking a train. I'm not taking a bus. I'm not taking a car. I'm not taking any other form of transportation but a plane. I am flying down. I am flying back. I have got to go see him. He is dying. Mm-hmm. And they just are not... Whoop, sorry. They're just not getting mm-hmm. that my brother is dying. I, they could not wrap their heads around it. Yeah. So my mother's like, okay, I'll go with you. Cause my, and the reason my mother was not going to fly is because the one thing my mother doesn't do is fly. Mm-hmm. She would walk to Florida before she would fly. She yeah. hates planes. She gets sick. I could go on and on and on. And then eventually my father's like, okay, I'll go too. And down to Florida we all go. And it was the first time in my life that my parents were like children. Mm-hmm. They, they, I was hurting them like cats. Mm-hmm. They were children. I had to book the flights. I had to wheel them through the airports because now the course of the fucking week before we go, my father breaks his leg. Mm-hmm. It was brutal to watch not only your brother dying, but then mm-hmm. my parents having no idea. They, they were like babies. Mm-hmm. They didn't know what to do. So you talk about going to people's homes. Yeah. I probably couldn't have walked in your brother's house. I love my brother. Mm-hmm. He was not a housekeeper. Mm-hmm. And he had skeevy little dogs. Mm-hmm. So we had to go in the home, which was not easy. And he is, I will say, his his support group was amazing. Mm-hmm. He surrounded, they're not my people, but they're here, his people and his people were wonderful. Mm-hmm. They really were one, And they were taking as best care as they knew how to of my brother. Mm-hmm. But it, being a nurse... The care was not enough and it was not clean care and they didn't know what they were doing. And Mm -hmm. the hospice nurse was coming in and we got there on a Tuesday. And by Thursday morning, I got a, they're knocking on my window at like 3 Mm a.m. I go over because he lived across the street from my parents' home down there. I go over and my brother is in bad shape. Mm -hmm. They're bringing him to a hospice house. If you do not know what a hospice house is, when it gets too much for sometimes the family or they get i mean the end of life i cannot explain enough to people who have not experienced it is not pretty Mm -hmm. it is just a not pretty they start to lose their their sense of themselves they lose bodily functions they get very uh their breathing sounds funny they see things i'll read about that i have a couple of things Mm -hmm. they start seeing things it's uncomfortable for people who aren't familiar with Mm -hmm. this i mean it's uncomfortable Period. Period. I mean, and it's your loved one. So the hospice nurse is like, let's bring him to the hospice house. These hospice houses are unfucking believable. Mm -hmm. They're beautiful. They're clean. They're quiet. They're nice. So they're like, will you come with me? I don't know these people from Adam. Yep. We have to physically load my brother up, who was not a tiny guy. Bring him in. We bring him to the hospice house. Again, have to herd my parents over there. They could not do it. Yeah. And... I can tell I'm like, you know, he was in the hospice house maybe two or three days, but you can see it coming. Mm-hmm. And I don't believe in I, I you got to be with them, even if they don't know you are there. Yes. I that's how I am. I'm not leaving you alone. Mm-hmm. You're not at this point in your life. So the last night I put I get my sweatpants, I get my sweatshirt. And my mother's like, where are you going? I'm like, he's not going to sit alone in that house. He's just not. Mm-hmm. You want to come with me? No, I'm good. My father. No, I'm good. I'm like. Okay. Mm-hmm. I don't blame them. I haven't lost a child. Right. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Off I go to the hospice house. He died the next morning, mm-hmm. but he wasn't alone. His husband was with when he passed. I'm grateful for that. Mm-hmm. And after it was all said down, my father looks at me. He's like, I don't think I would have come down here if you didn't force me to come down. Yeah. And he's like, I needed to. I know I needed to. I couldn't bring myself to do it. Yeah. So... It's hard because I'm the baby of the family mm-hmm. and I have everybody. I have my other brother calling me what's going on down there. As this is going on, my husband's aunt is in hospice mm-hmm. who had no children. So my husband and his siblings are like her kids. He's dealing with her hospice. She was in an assisted living and the hospice came to the assisted living. Mm-hmm. And again, he's up all night. They weren't going to leave her alone. So they passed within hours of each other. Yeah. And my husband and I are like, what the fuck is going yeah. on? But he's calling me, asking me questions. My parents are, and as the nurse, you're the translator. It's yeah. like another language for these people. And it's really heavy on you because who are you talking to? Right. I'm calling you me. from Florida. No. Like, Laura, I can't fucking do this anymore. Like, I'm venting to you mm-hmm. because I have that support right. system. She, This woman does not. No, that's too bad, too. You I, know, yeah. it's it's awful because mm-hmm. when you can, like, 
I can joke with you and you understand I'm not being a dick. You know why I'm doing it. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Not everybody's going to listen to your dark humor and understand where right. you're coming from. Right. It's, yeah, it's not easy. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. I had my father. He had pancreatic cancer. And he was, when he found out, it was stage four. So it's like, it's too, too late. late. So he, I work at it with a surgeon that is a world-renowned pancreatic mm-hmm. surgeon. So he calls and tells me, and he's like, I want a second opinion. And I'm like, okay. Um, you know, I said, I work with, mm-hmm. like, the best in the world. He's like, okay, yeah. So I went downstairs. I was at work when he called me. And I went downstairs, and I said to the surgeon, well, I went into his room, because he was actually operating. Isn't it always amazing when you need them? They're, they happen to be there. <laughs> I know. He's operating that day. I was like, yes. So I went in the room, and another nurse was in there, and he wasn't in there yet, because they weren't started yet. And I was like, oh, is he not down? He's like, no, he's coming down a minute. I'm like, okay, I have to go. Like, I had to go work. I said, but um, I'll come back in a little bit. I said, my father just called the stage four pancreatic cancer. He just wanted a second opinion. She's like, okay, I'll tell him. You know, and, and I said, okay, I'll come back when I can. So I had to go do breaks or whatever, and I came back in. And he's in the hallway waiting, waiting for me. And he was like, okay, so your father has an appointment on Monday. Have him bring all his films. That's why me, I love these fucking know, guys. I'm the, sorry. Um, radiation oncologist and some other mm-hmm. doctor will all be there, Um, you know, 8 a.m. Monday morning. I'm like, okay. And it was like Friday. And I'm like, oh, okay, all right. You know, mm-hmm. so I was like, let me call him. Of course, I call him and he's like, yeah, you know what? I'm not going to get a second opinion. I'm like, oh, I just fucking asked. That same thing happened to me. Yep. <laughs> so I was like, okay. I mean, not that I think you need one. And that's actually what the surgeon that we work with said. He goes, if it's state. And I said, I understand that. And I, he's but like, you just went through all this. And he's like, like, I, there's nothing I can do. I said, I understand. He goes, but I am more than happy to meet right. with him. I said, I, I understand that. And so then my father decided, no, he didn't want a second opinion an hour later. Um, so I went back to the room and I was like, so he just told me he doesn't want a second opinion. And he's like, I understand. He goes, and if he changes his mind again, you well, call I me think and we'll that's it. You're, you're trying to absorb what you've just been told yes. and you really don't want to believe it. Right. You feel like there has to there be has another to be way. Wrong. There has to be something. They got something wrong. Right. Um, so he's like, you know, he was very, he said, no, I completely understand. And if he changes his mind again, you call me and I'll see him the next day. And I said, okay, thank you. You know, mm-hmm. he's very sweet, very sweet. Um, but so he didn't, he did do some chemo. He didn't finish it. It made him very, very ill. He was, I mean, he was already very ill. Mm-hmm. And it made him very, very ill. So then, I don't know. It was only a couple of months after he was diagnosed. They called and they said, you have to, you should come up here cause he's going to die. So we went up and he was married to this woman and her house is very, very small, very small. <laughs> and there was a cat. And I, and I, oh, we know, you know how, how you feel about cats. You cats. must have really loved your dad to go up there with a cat. So I was like, oh, okay. So they called me and said it. And Jack was in school. And Sam was, I don't know. He must have been like half day preschool or something. And I was like, oh my God. They're like, you have to come up now. And he lived up in New Hampshire. And I was like, okay. And so I called one of Jack's friend's mothers. I said, I'm sorry. Could you just ever pick him up for me? And Mike will get him from you. And he, she said, you... Don't even worry. Don't even right. think about it. I've got him, whatever. So I didn't even literally think about it for the rest of the day. So I don't know who took Sam. And I went up there and my sister went up. And my aunts were there because they all live in New Hampshire. He has four sisters. So we're up there and he's with it when I first got there. But writhing in pain. Mm-hmm. Writhing in pain. And I was like, is there a hospice? You got hospice, right? Because I wasn't really involved in right. a lot of that stuff. So I said you did get hospice. Yes, the hospice nurse here. We have the you know the morphine and the liquid liquid morphine why is, and hmm? why is nobody giving him the morphine? I said so. When did he have it? Because he's writhing in pain, mm. and they were like, uh, like a few hours ago. I'm like, okay, we let's give him you know give him some what? more, please. Like he's no, what? No, I said, but he's in pain. Well, he just had it. I don't want him to have too much. I'm like, a my father was an alcoholic. Who and the I'm, fuck cares at this point? But I'm just, like, he needs a little more. I'm yeah. sure he needs a little more than yeah. what you're giving him. And I'm like, okay, but he's dying. So let's, well, um, the hospice nurse, I'm like, okay. And I can't really, you can't, it's you, not my mother. She's, yeah. It's his wife. So I'm like, okay. So we sat there. He could kind of talk when we got there. And then very shortly after he was out of it. Right. So you couldn't even ask. Well, that's what's pain. hard too, is especially when you start giving the morphine. You kind of have to say goodbye because once you give them the morphine to control the pain, they're gone. Right. Like they're mentally, they're out of it. So, and he was, and I think it was the disease progression mm-hmm. as well. And then he couldn't speak. Mm-hmm. So then all you can do is watch 
him in pain. Grimacing. And I'm like, he's grimacing. Oh, but he's not saying he's in pain. Like, he can't say he's in pain. Laura, I've heard this before and I, get fucking aggravated. I was like, so beside myself. The hospice nurse came. I said, they, so we can give him this when, she said, whenever he looks like he's in pain. I said, okay. Thank you. And how much can he get whenever, you know, and she yeah. said, whatever it was, I don't. And I said, so when he's grimacing, he's in pain? Yes. I said, okay, so she can give him medicine when he is grimacing in him like that, because that yeah. means he's in pain. Yes. And she was very... Because she understood what you were saying. Yes. And she was very clear and she made it very clear again that he should be getting the meds when he's grimacing or moving Mm -hmm. funny or whatever. Like he can no longer communicate. You have to watch. It was awful. Awful. It's fucking awful. He's writhing in pain. Give him the medicine. So eventually she kind of just. Let you do it. Yeah. (laughs) And I was like, give me the, give it to me Mm -hmm. because. He's I you can't, well how could you watch him right rather than pain I can't watch right. that so I mean this is my father it's her yeah. husband I understand but this is my dad I mean, it, even if it was a stranger I couldn't watch them rather right. than pain right. but I just anyways so but along with that she did come the hospice nurse was very nice but she only I think she came maybe once or mm-hmm. twice while we were there we were there for a well, few that's days what people need to know too they don't stay there with you the whole time this is happening they come in and out and because people are like well why isn't the hospice nurse here I'm like. Because she's got three other, four other patients. Right. She makes sure like, you're settled. And yeah. again, if it was something bad happening, she would be there, right she back. She would come right back. But, but they, they don't know stay when all... somebody's going to die almost to the fucking minute. Right. They're so, pretty good about it. Yeah. So we were there that day. He didn't die. My aunt lives down the street. We went and slept there. Um, We came back. He was completely unconscious, like mm-hmm. out of it, writhing, wriggling around, restless, but mm-hmm. not, not, you couldn't talk to him or anything. Um, we changed, my sister and I changed him. We changed his bedding. We did all that stuff for him. We just sat there trying to tell him to go, like, let go, yeah. blah, blah, blah. He wouldn't. We didn't know what was holding. <laughs> what are you holding on to? Yeah. Day three, I think we were like, okay, I don't know what the hospice nurse like. I don't know. There's something. I don't know. Like he just wouldn't die. And so we were like, I mean, not that, but <laughs> I'm laughing. I know it's pain. not funny, like, but like, like, go. fucking go, like, dude. What are you waiting like, for? What you? are you doing? You know, living like, in a tiny house with a cat. What? This isn't heaven. <laughs> so, um, look, we're trying to figure out like, well, what's unsettled? Like, you know, I don't mm-hmm. know. And then someone was like, have your mother call him and tell him that it's okay. Holy like shit. maybe that'll do it. And we're like, all right. So we're like, you gotta, you gotta talk to him and tell him like, yeah, you're fine. Oh, that had to be hard. Or whatever. Hard and weird. It was weird. And we're in the other, the Woman's third house. wife's home. So I was. <laughs> the wife way down the line. She was out. So we're like, okay, call now. So she, whatever she said to him, he still didn't die. So I don't know what he, the man was holding on to, but he did not die. Um, And we, you know, we were changing him the whole time, giving him meds the whole time. He was so in pain. It was awful. I can't Writhing imagine. In I pain. can't imagine what that's like. So eventually after a few days, we were living up there. Mike would bring the kids up to like visit me. Um, the hospice nurse was like, "What? why don't we bring him to the hospital? Because mm. he is not comfortable and he is not letting go. For whatever reason, this he man is go. not letting go. Why don't we bring him there? There are people there all the time. They can give him IV mm-hmm. morphine instead of the liquid morphine. They can give him more. And we're like, yes. They put him in an ambulance. We follow the ambulance to the hospital. We sat at the hospital. They're giving him IV morphine. They're keeping him. He was much more comfortable. He was, you he could was see laying still. He was not writhing. Mm-hmm. Um, we went home that night. We were going to stay. And my aunt's like, go home. You haven't been home in days. Like, you haven't, mm-hmm. you know, go home. Come back tomorrow. And my aunt. Maybe he I'm, didn't want to die with you there. Well, that's, they, maybe they don't want to die. Maybe that, you know, mm-hmm. so you just try like 85 different things. So we all left. My aunt Sharon was there. And he did die the next morning. It was like. I can't, I don't even remember how long it was. Five days? Six days? Like, they called me and they were like, you got to get up here now. Like, it's an yeah. hour and a half. Well, you got to yeah. get up here. We got it right up there. And it was like, literally, I, I mean, it had to be five days later. Yeah. It was like. Maybe he was afraid of something. I don't know. That's what they're like. He's holding on for some reason, yeah. but no one knows why. But the he was just so uncomfortable. Like, that's all I remember saying. You're so uncomfortable. Like, <laughs> just go. Just let go. Like, just why do you want to be this uncomfortable? Yeah. yeah, I mean, not that you can. I have no idea, you know. But right. that's on your head. You're like, oh my god, please. Like, why? Maybe would the ex wives were up there. Who knows? <laughs> no, they're all alive. Um, but I just, you know, it was just, it's weird. Like, 
you're changing when I was your sitting, parent. You know, like yeah, when I was sitting at the hospice house, you know how they say cardinals are the sign of something yes, you love. Yeah. I was on the phone with my husband and I said, I can't even tell you how many cardinals are flying around this place. Mm. I've never seen so many cardinals mm-hmm. in one fucking spot in my life. Yeah. There had to be fifty of them flying around. I was like, this is weird. Yeah. Um, I joke around that I killed both my in laws. Yes. Well, well. So my father and I told you he was hit on the uh, the Tobin laborer died. He had um, he had survived actually cancer of the lung, cancer of the spine. He had CHF, I think, because of the chemotherapy. Mm-hmm. So for the last five years of his life, because my mother in law had passed, that's the story I'll finish with because <laughs> that was quite a story. Um, he was living with us, and probably four months before he died, I had taken care of him for five years. I had. I mean, Garrett was like three. Mm -hmm. I had young children in the house. I got seriously sick. And I just said, I'm like, I can't do this anymore. Mm -hmm. I said to my husband, I'm like, he he has to go somewhere else because literally I'm changing his diaper. Mm -hmm. And then I'd have to change Garrett's diaper. Mm -hmm. He's banging on the door at three, wondering what the fuck I'm doing. It was too much. Mm -hmm. So he goes to live with my brother-in-law. He's out. He catches a cold. He gets very, very sick. And my brother-in-law comes out. He's like, he calls us. He's not doing well. Things aren't good. And by the time we get there, my father-in-law is sitting on the end of the bed and he's, you know how COPD, they mm. sit there yeah, like that, trying yeah. away and he's gasping for breath. Mm. Absolutely fucking gasping for breath. And there, he was, he had been, he was a person who had been on and off hospice. Mm-hmm. So he was on hospice till that Christmas when I got sick. He got a leg infection. They brought him into the hospital. And that's when I was like, he, he has to go home to somebody else. Mm. He came back on hospice at my brother-in-law's and they provided him with health aids and beds and it was just nice mm-hmm. to have you know some care so i went into the room and he's sitting there he, this guy i mean it sounded like he was breathing you know when you go into the straw and you blow bubbles that's mm-hmm. what it sounded like it was he was so wet and i looked at him and i said what are you fighting for we are all fine here mm-hmm. everybody's settled we got good spouses mm-hmm. the grandkids are fine why are you struggling to continue mm-hmm. And he's like, you know what? Literally says to me, you know what? You're right. I'm going to jump ship. I'm like, you do what you got to do, Papa. Mm-hmm. We brought him to the hospice house that night. I sat with him for two days because I was working nights at the time. Mm-hmm. The brothers couldn't really. They would stay with him during the day. I'd go home and sleep. Mm-hmm. And he was so wet. He was just so wet. By the time he hit the hospice house, we did not say another word to him. He was done. Mm-hmm. 2 a.m. in the morning, I can hear the wetness stop. Mm-hmm. Then they take a breath. Wetness stop done yeah i spent like two minutes with them say goodbye to them mm-hmm. call all the brothers in mm-hmm. but they like they would leave i it was to leave it for somebody else because uh, people can't handle it and you have to yeah. respect that they, right. not everybody can handle watching that it's not pretty it's not it's not pretty it's not easy um so my mother-in-law this is the coup de grace story. <laughs> my mother-in-law what a sweet woman god bless you genie me so um I, my son, my oldest son, I only had, I had the two. He's three. I have to go to work. She volunteered to babysit him. My other aunt was watching my daughter because she was only a year. And she, my mother-in-law had called me in the morning. She's like, huh, I don't feel great. I'm like, what's the matter? She's like, I don't know. My stomach hurts. I just don't feel great. I'm like, all right, you want me to get somebody else to watch Garrett? No, 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 bring, I mean, Cameron. No, no, bring him down, bring him down. Because she loved to, mm-hmm. she, I love my mother, but I wish my mother-in-law had been 15 years younger because she would have been she loved my yeah. kid like fucking loved her grandkids like I've never seen my mother loves her grandkids she just shows it in a different way mm-hmm. my mother-in-law would have done anything right. for these kids so she was like yes absolutely give me the kids so I go to the apartment and I'm looking at her and she's a ball of fucking sweat mm-hmm. and she's got one of these stupid like CVS blood pressure cuffs yeah. so it's a 60 I'm like that's obviously wrong it's a piece of shit I didn't yeah. get that yeah, sorry <laughs> Siri I'm not talking to you um and she just doesn't look right. And she keeps, con- I'm like, I th- think you have a heart attack. She's like, no, no, no. I always get indigestion. I get this all the time. Like, really? You get that all the time? Mm-hmm. She's like, yes, I get this all the time. I get this. I said, you know what? I call work. I can still remember the charge. And I'm like, I'm going to be late. Mm-hmm. And I, she lives very close to Boston. So I'm like, I'll just drive you in. Because by the time the ambulance shows right. up, it's going to, they're going to be here 45 fucking minutes. I'll have you in the hospital by then. She's like, okay. And my father-in-law is going to follow us in the car. So I'm trying to get a history on her, what's going on, blah, blah, blah. She's kind of vague. She just doesn't feel great. Okay, we're on our way into the hospital. I look over. She, like, grabs, like a movie, grabs her chest, 
and then she starts making this weird sound. I'm like, I'm slapping her in the face. I'm like, hey, hey, where you? Yeah. I'm like, fuck, fuck. I'm getting the car. Me and my three-year-old, fuck, fuck, fuck. I pull off the highway. Like there was, there just happened to be yeah. an exit to a restaurant right there. I see my father-in-law stop dead on the highway. Look at me. He takes off because now he's trying to get around. I call 911. I drag her out of the car. I start CPR on her. The problem with where I pulled over, I am right down the street from one of the worst hospitals yeah. the state has. Okay. That's, I should have kept her in the fucking car. Yeah. That's problem number one. So the fire department had to be the next street over because mm-hmm. they were there in fucking seconds. They mm-hmm. were there. They take over CPR. The ambulance shows up and I'm trying to call my husband. His brother's like, this is bad. Like, mm-hmm. this is really bad. And this EMT, he had to be 6'2 and 450 pounds. I have him by the chest. He's like, we're taking her to that hospital. I'm like, you are not taking her. They will kill her. You cannot take her there. He's like, we have to take her there. I'm like, you cannot. You know how bad that place is. <laughs> and he said, listen, if we get a pulse back, I'll take her into, into Boston, Boston. But otherwise, she's going there. I'm like, fuck. Off they go. 45 minutes. We sat in the parking lot. I wanted to be like, just scoop her and take her. Like, why are we fucking around here getting IVs and shit? You're 10 seconds. This is why. I drove her. I've obviously second-guessed my decisions that day forever. Yeah. So um, off to the hospital we go. And this is... The reason I tell the story is because this is what happens. She is not my mother. Mm-hmm. But every time a physician came out, who literally the words would be, who's the nurse? And then they would tell me everything and I would have to translate. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to make decisions no. on her care. She's not my mother. Right. And I'm very cynical. Excuse me. I know the decisions I'm going to make, but I'm not going to tell you to make those right. decisions. They ship her into Boston. We all fucking go into Boston. Um, my poor son, I like, I don't remember. I to this day can't remember what happened to like he was in the car when it happened. Mm-hmm. I don't remember. I took him to the hospital and he went I don't know who picked him up. Yeah. I don't remember where he went. I think my sister-in-law took him. I don't remember. I, to this day I don't remember. He, I still have him, so he's alive. Yes. He's well. He was unharmed. He's unharmed, but I cannot remember from the life of me where he went. And I yeah. can I remember him being in the back of the car while the ambulance there and I was trying it was freezing so the car was running i mean it was just terrible mm-hmm. in the boston we go they put her in the icu they tried the cath lab again the surgeon comes out of the cath lab who's the nurse i'm like this is fucking getting old yeah into the cath lab they go my brother-in-law is just i mean uh to the icu my brother-in-law decides to stay and i'm prepping my husband i'm like it ain't good mm-hmm. and he's like do you think she's gonna make it i'm like to be completely honest with you she died in my car yeah like they ain't getting her back mm-hmm. So the night shift is taking care of her. My brother-in-law is calling me. They want to put her on this. They want to put her on that. I'm like, she's not going to survive the surgery. Mm-hmm. No, no. Because my mother-in-law wasn't young either. She's probably 78 or 79 when it happened. I, I honestly can't remember. So she's And she was a frail woman to begin with. Mm-hmm. She's not going to survive the surgery. She's going to die on the table. Is that what you want? Mm-hmm. You want to be able to say goodbye to her? So they decide not to. The night shift calls us at 5 a.m. Come in, come in. She's dying. Like mm-hmm. she was, she was in DIC. The poor things. Yeah. The night shift nurses, God bless them. They were trying to cover. Like, I knew what I was looking. You know, you walk in, every arm's covered in chucks. Yeah. Every orifice is like, and they're like, what's going on? And I'm like, oh, this isn't good. And the nurse looks at me again, and she's like, it's not good. I'm like, okay, all right. So at 7 o'clock, we're going to have a family meeting. Mm -hmm. The night shift saying us, she's done. Mm -hmm. The day shift comes in. They had to walk out of there in like two weeks. So we have this big family meeting. It's like... We could do this and we could do this and we could do that and we could try this. And I said, okay, well, she was anoxic for 45 minutes. Like, what do we look like on the, well, I, I don't have the answer to that. Exactly. Okay. So you save her body, but she's a vegetable right. at 78 years old. Right. She's in a nursing home for five years. Was that what we're going to do here? Mm-hmm. So he finishes his spiel and there was myself, my husband, my brother-in-law, my sister-in-law, my father-in-law. The whole table looks at me. What do we do? Yeah. I'm like, um not my mother mm-hmm. what do you want to do and i said this is what's going on i had to explain everything he just said because mm-hmm. they didn't hear a word of it right. they're not they're listening not, yeah and they uh they decide well let's wait a little longer again i know what's going to happen because right. the surgeon basically or the doctor of whatever the hell they were he's like we're going to let her declare herself um we're going to take some labs she'll declare which way she's going to go oh great we've come this far why not mm-hmm. you know let's wait I go to breakfast my husband he gets so um, intense. He doesn't know how to express his feelings. So he gets really intense. I'm not leaving my mother. We've been with her the whole time. I'm like, all right, you don't want to fucking eat. Don't eat. Go ahead. Stay. They're going to call you if there's a problem. But you can stay with your mom. I got it. It's mm-hmm. your mom. I get it. You know, down I go. In the meantime, my father-in-law is diagnosed with cancer. We're supposed to have surgery like the next day. Yeah. 
So I tell you this for a reason. So um, we go to breakfast. I come back up. Doctor's boring a hole in my face. And I just looked at him. I said, she declared herself. He said, yep. I said, she's not living. He said, no. Mm -hmm. And again, every face looks at me. What do we do? Well, if it were my mother, I'd turn everything off and pull the tube. Not my mother. Mm -hmm. I can't make these decisions for you. They decided to pull the tube. And again, I get to her them all in the room. Sit with them while this is going. Which is the most awful thing Mm -hmm. I've ever had to sit through in my life. Four grown men mm-hmm. bawling their eyes out mm-hmm. because the glue that held that family together mm-hmm. is going. Like, mm-hmm. I'm going to cry thinking about it. Mm-hmm. So, they were, and, and they're all silent criers. Like, yeah. you know, no, every just tears pouring down their face. I'm like, this is fucking the worst thing I've ever had to watch. I have to help them pull the tube. Not have to, but I stay in there. I help right. them pull the tube. I help them pull. Because she was gone within like, five minutes. Yeah. Five minutes that they're done. Well, because she did die. In right. Kind of that, and that, then yeah. she dies. And they all look at me again. I'm like, all right, let's go to my house. I'll make some pasta because that's what Italians do. I'll make mm-hmm. some macaroni and you guys can start deciding plans and mm-hmm. funerals and this. And let's go. And I'm literally, come on, let's go into the elevator. Let's all go. That's why it's hard as a nurse. Mm-hmm. Who am I going to tell? My mother didn't want to hear it. I'm trying to vent to my mother. And I think because she felt guilty, she attacks me instead. Right. And I'm like, what the fuck? So it's very hard because you're now, everybody's looking at you for answers and you don't always have them. Right. It's still, it's, it, even though you're a nurse, it doesn't mean that it's not hard to deal with it. To deal with it. Your dog or it's human. not hard on you. It's right. still, yeah, I know it's happening, but that doesn't make it better. Right. Right. Like it's And they're all looking awful. to you like, what do we do? And then, right. well, I don't want to tell you the wrong thing because right. it's your mother. Right. So we've done this. There are people, you, I hope these stories have helped her. That she realizes we've all been in those shoes. Mm-hmm. I mean, it wasn't my sister who I was close to, but I've had to bury my brother. I've had to be there to help mm-hmm. him. I've had to change his ass, mm-hmm. which is not fun. No. You know, and trying like, oh my God, his husband was changing his dirty poopy diaper with no gloves. I was like, oh, you want gloves? You want gloves? <laughs> no, that's no good. It's all over the bed. I'm like, mm, no. I'm so we've all been there. Yeah. And it's very, very hard. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, when we decided to take our nursing pin... This is all the shit that comes with it. Yeah. It's, yeah. I think it's very hard. Yeah. Because you're right. Like, everyone looks at you. Everything they say, they look at you. What, what did they say? They're, so, right. they're, they're all, what did he just say? Because, they, you know, these doctors, some of them are so in their head academic, they can't dumb it down. And they don't know how to talk. And I think them. they want to give all the information, quote unquote. But it's not always helpful. Should, but it's not. <laughs> but they, lay people can't interpret all that information mm-hmm. of what those signs mean or right. they don't even get that that is a sign of something right. like so it's hard but it's very hard and i and i do think you it's it's not a it's you're not pressured to do it because i think you would do it because that's just who you are as a mm-hmm. that's why you're a, nurse. you're a nurse that's why you went into nursing but you're going to be the one changing them you're going to be the one change like when you're changing the bed i'm like okay give them to me like roll mm-hmm. him this way and you're telling them how to change the linen like you learned in nursing school yep. when you're rolling your patient like but they don't know how to do that. You know how My to do that. My neighbor across so, yeah. the street, her husband had prostate cancer. And God bless him. He was desperate to find any hope. He was always like, what do you think? What do you think? And I'd be like, you know what? One person on earth, not even on earth, knows who's when you're going. And mm-hmm. that's the big guy upstairs. I don't know. So he's at end of life. They still had, they had brought in the hospice like two days before he died. I'm like, oh, why are you waiting? Yeah. So his daughter is a nurse. Mm-hmm. And she was taking the brunt of the care as well. And mm-hmm. she was a hot mess. God bless her. So I get a knock on my door and uh, it's the wife and she comes in and she's like, um, Kelly's in the shower and Peter's not doing well and I really need some help. Could you, could you, do you mind helping us out? I'm like, absolutely. I fucking, I run over. Then go, Brian was home. Kids are all set. I run over and his middle daughter is standing there with her hands up and rubber gloves on. All mm-hmm. right. But she's not touching anything. She's standing there like she's just come out of washing and yeah. her hands are gloves it's a surgery. And the daughter now has come down from the shower and when I tell you it's messy, he is evacuating his bowels for the last time. And there is a lot of it and it is completely fucking liquid. Yeah. All right. So he's laying in this and they're horrified. Mm-hmm. So his daughter, who's the nurse, is looking at me like, can you fucking help me? She didn't yeah. say anything. I'm like, mm-hmm, okay. So I pull the gloves off the <laughs> middle daughter, put them on. And because she's a nurse, I don't have to explain have to, to say her. It, yeah. And we're cleaning him up, roll him to tuck it, tuck it, roll him back to me, yeah. tuck it, tuck it, tuck it, clean him up, bump, bump, bump. You good? Yeah, I'm good. The middle sister's like, 
did you guys rehearse that? <laughs> I'm like, no, like this is what you learn in nursing school. She goes, you guys didn't say anything. You just fucking knew what to do. I'm like, because we do it all the time. Right. Like, that's what you do. Right. So it was just funny. And they, again, so after we changed him, both of his, his older daughter, and middle daughter had just had babies. They were all like, everybody in this house was a fucking mess when I walked in. The older daughter has no idea to do with their screaming son. I'm like, give me that baby. I did. I needed to hold that yeah. baby. And I grab him and I get him on my chest, sound asleep, out like a light. She's like, you just calm this whole house down. I'm like, because that's what nurses do. And I'm batting him on the back. I'm like, this baby's so cute. He went sound asleep. I'm like, I'm just going to lay here with him on my chest for about five minutes. You don't mind, do you? I'm abducting a child. She's like, no, that's okay. Um, and he died, I think, less than 24 hours later. Yeah. You know, it was, they leave my, it's June. It's June. He dies at like nine in the morning. It's two o'clock in the afternoon. I said to the wife, did you call the um, funeral home? Funeral home yet? No. Right. It's June. Mm. You're going to get ripe in that room yeah. if you don't call. Well, my daughter was sleeping. I didn't want to wake up. I said, call. Because they could still be another three right. hours. Right. Doesn't mean they're going to be there in 10 minutes. The flies are going to start collecting in the living room. Like, yeah. you gotta, it's June. This isn't like in December. Yeah. You could turn the heat off in the room, you know? I was like, I don't mean to be mean, but honey, you're going to call them. Yeah. So I hope this has helped you. And I hope I hope people will realize that it's not, A, that the morphine they're giving you at that time is not, you're not going to be addicted to it because right. you're going to be dead. You're not going to, it's not going to, it doesn't kill you. It's almost cruel to hold it back. It's it's for comfort. This is, all for comfort. this is pain. not to end your life. Right. This is for comfort so you can die with a little bit of dignity, a little bit of grace, and, and not such severe pain. I don't think people realize one of the first indicators of cancer is pain. Mm-hmm. That's how painful it is. Yeah, it's Cancer is painful. So yeah. give them what... The, I would go buy heroin for my mother if yeah. that's what it took to get her yeah. comfortable. Mm-hmm. I would fucking OD them if I... I tell my husband all the time, just give me the hot shot, dude. <laughs> I don't want to live through that. But that is not what hospice does. No, they that's do what not. I don't. But that's what I want. What? A bottle of Jack but and a bag of heroin. I think people are afraid. That's what that them. means. Oh, you're no. going to give them morphine? You're going to kill. That's what's killing them. No. It's the same they, people who think if your license says organ donor, we're going to kill you for right. the organs. This is not. But actually, I don't think it is the same. I think it's more people think the morphine yeah. thing. It is not. That is. It is not um, assisted suicide. Mm-mm. It is nothing of that. It is in no way, quote unquote, negative. It is. The best service you could offer your it loved is, one. You are trying to make them comfortable yeah. in a very uncomfortable time. Right. It is not killing them. Yeah. They are dying of their disease. Mm-hmm. And the last thing I want to mention too, which is hard, is when you go through something like this and it's all consuming for 24 hours to 48 hours, however long it takes, mm-hmm. it's all consuming. Mm-hmm. And then it's over. And then there's just nothing. And then it's nothing. Mm-hmm. And everybody around you has gone back to life. Mm-hmm. And as the caregiver, like she caregiver for her sister... All of a sudden, it hits you like, what the fuck? Yeah. And now you're trying to process it mm-hmm. all. Right. Because when you're in the moment and you're giving right. the care, you're not processing. Right. You're just doing. You're working. Seek somebody to yeah. talk to. Whether it's a support group, a fellow nurse, a podcast, mm-hmm. seek somebody mm-hmm. to talk to because you need to decompress from the experience because there is going to be a small part of you that says, thank God it's done. Yes. And you feel guilty for thinking that mm-hmm. way, but it's a blessing. It, you, there's nothing wrong with thinking that. You need to find somebody to talk it through with. And if somebody around you cares enough, whether they understand or not, they'll listen. Mm-hmm. And sometimes all you need is... A, my cats hear a lot of shit. Yeah. Because they look at you like they know what you're talking about, but they just listen. Yeah. You know, so... Yeah, get yourself a... anybody. yes. And if you have hospice, they provide aftercare. Yes. Reach out to them. Just because that person is now dead does not mean you don't get the hospice benefit. Right. Get them. They will right. hook you up they with have someone all to kinds speak of to, someone groups. to help you. Yeah. And and the hospice nurse herself. Right. Does she, this all the time. Right. She can talk she you through it. She could probably well. listen to you. Yeah. You know, nurses need to vent too. So mm-hmm. um again, I'm sorry for her loss. Yes, that's, that's a horrible that her sister was very young. Um and I feel horrible for the children and everybody mm-hmm. she left behind. Uh I hope you find some peace and comfort that yes. you're there for her in the time of her life when she needed to do the most. Mm-hmm. So this will be our hopefully last um, heavy episode like that because <laughs> it's a lot of lot of subject matter we covered. Mm-hmm. And we will bring back for the Halloween season, which we all know is my favorite. Your favorite. We got some good shit. We just talked about it earlier. Like, oh, we'll talk about this. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about it. We got some good shit coming up. <laughs> so um, don't be afraid of hospice. Have a wonderful fall season. Go get your pumpkins and mm-hmm. your apples and start baking and burning your fucking fall candles. Go watch football. Mm-hmm. Get your, what is that? 
coffee. What's it called? That coffee? That oh, the drinking? Stoke the Pumpkin Stoke Co- Pumpkin Coffee. It's, my I literally my can't <laughs> on the bottle. It's my favorite. I literally can't. All right. Have a wonderful time. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. Bye. Yep. Like, subscribe, rate, and review the Scissors and Scrubs podcast on whatever podcast app you listen to us on. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Scissors and Scrubs. And email us any of your stories or thoughts to scissorsandscrubs at gmail.com.